This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. I'm Maura Dooley. Hey, it's a big week on the show because someone had a birthday. She's not present here, but she is a huge part of the show. That would be one Miss Jennifer Stiefel. Yes, my uh, partner in crime with the distillery and been married now 21 years. And so she's celebrating their birthday. I won't tell the number. No, not like 21. That. It's 21. <laughs> she can finally drink, yes. you guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's we, awesome. What did you guys do last night? Well, we had to celebrate a little early because yesterday, uh, Friday, she was invited to go down to a uh, private dinner being put on with this uh, social media group called Girl Boss. So she was one of 10 female uh, business owners sitting at this roundtable dinner with business owners from around the, around the country, females, uh, talking about everything um, related to owning, running, starting, and uh, maintaining a, a business as a female owner. So she actually gets back tonight. Oh, how cool. uh, Looking forward to seeing her back home. Man, yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty cool birthday celebration. I love that. It yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. And Girl Boss, uh, like on Instagram, it has seventeen and a half million followers <laughs> to wow. give an idea of the reach of this thing. So it's a it's a big deal, a high honor for her. She was very excited when she got the invitation and uh, of course I think she's gonna be bringing down some bottles of BSB to uh, share with all the ladies. Oh, sounds <laughs> awesome. Well, happy birthday, Jennifer. Uh, you don't look a day over 25 or, yeah, exactly, which it's, it's, that's, it's your 25th birthday. So congrats on that's that. Right. Yeah. You are that's definitely right. a boss woman. Yes, absolutely. That's right. that's right. In the meantime, also, what's going on in the headlines? Well, uh, this comes to us out of Indiana, Hebron, Indiana, to be specific. Naked man with beer in hand evades police by vanishing in a regional cornfield. A uh, naked man was spotted running down the street in only a hat with a beer in hand, prompting police, firefighters, and a drone to search for him. Then he took cover among the corn. It was about 6.30 in the evening. They responded for requests to do what they call a welfare check on a naked man. And five officers arrived on scene, spotted him. They questioned him why he was running up the road. Upon seeing more people coming, he streaked across a ditch, ran across the highway, and then related, and then ran into the cornfield. So they're still looking for him. Fascinating that they brought out the firefighters and the drone. That's just funny. Uh, I feel, yeah, if you can evade that many people at that point, I think, yeah, you should just be... You should just be free to go on out on your own, right? Well, hopefully, it's okay and not lost exactly. in the corn maze that's, somewhere. That's, I know, and without clothes too, I feel <laughs> yeah. like that could not be fun. But you know, hey, sir, hopefully you're all right and wear clothes next time, though. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right. Uh, next up, this comes to us out of Altoona, Iowa, from uh, whotv.com. Maybe you saw this on Sports Center or some of the other college football shows last weekend, but an ISU fan turns beer money sign into a viral fundraiser for children's hospitals. College football turns millions of eyes on the college day, game day, as we know, right? We're all yeah. big fans watching that. And if you're a Kook fan, you know that that flag has always made an appearance. So. It's always there. <laughs> well, as a joke, an ISU fan brought a sign to d- game day. 
hold, he held it up and it asked for beer money to be sent to his Venmo account. Well, people paid attention and he got thousands of dollars in beer money sent to his Venmo account and he was shocked and his name is Carson King, he's 24 years old. Uh, he said it was just nonstop energy, people singing, dancing, having a good time the entire time for college game day. It was a lifetime dream for them to host it. He gets all this money and he realizes, whoa, pretty soon I got 400 bucks and then 600 and then 1,000 and so on. It was from all over, he said, people from Texas, Idaho, California, Massachusetts. Uh, he said even a lot of Clemson people donated, so uh, evidently they like Bush Light. <laughs> uh, he called his parents. They came up with a plan, and instead of buying, um, they're going to buy a case of beer and then send the rest to the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital in Iowa City. It ended up being over $5,700 that wow. he was able to donate. So that's a big deal, and uh, just shows you how just the spread of uh, trying to be funny sometimes works. As of the 19th, the donations have surpassed now $75,000. Yeah, pretty pretty powerful. And uh, we've seen some of these signs in the past. If you watch College Game Day or just college football in general, some kids have come up with these creative signs. I know if you're watching the UW BYU game, there was a kid in the in the stands that uh, said, "Please send money for root beer because it's BYU <laughs> yep. dry campus." So uh, yep. that you've seen these before, but yeah, the fact that uh, all the sign read was "Bushlight needs replenished." Venmo Carson King 25, yep. and people donated, and yep. he turned it into a fundraiser. Pretty cool for a 24 year old guy. Well, and I love how he said that well, the best- his mom was like, oh, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. My son begging for money on national television. But then he, he ended up making her proud. Exactly. In addition to having raised 75000 both Venmo and Bush Light said they're going to match whatever donated. So it could be north of 225000 by the time it's all said and done. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. Good job, Carson. Yeah. And lastly, from foxnews.com, Utah may face a beer shortage because of a new law change. Utah recently changed the law. It used to be you could only have 3.2% alcohol beer in the state. Now it's up to 4%. And as a result, distributors have been scrambling trying to get their hands on 4% beer to be sent to uh, Utah gets in the warehouse and then gets sent out to the uh, location. So they're anticipating there may be a shortage because this is a brand new thing for Utah. And uh, Mara used to live and work there. What does this mean for the state moving from 32 to 4% alcohol beer? Uh, well, my experience was actually in Colorado, but it's the same oh. thing. Um, since they don't sell alcohol in the grocery stores or, or like gas stations there, it, all they sold was 3-2 beer. And um, yeah, I think as a consumer, we always kind of complained about it that because it, especially liquor stores used to be closed on Sundays there, so you couldn't get if you wanted to get something for the game and you hadn't gotten it ahead of time, mm-hmm. all you could get was three two beer. But I never really thought about if that was changed, the impact that it would have on you know yeah. the breweries trying to scramble to fix that or change it. Ultimately, a good thing, but just in the short term, might be a slight shortage of it. Mm-hmm. Stock up now on, <laughs> on your beer. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, what are the worst trends in wine right now? We ask the experts. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. We teased it before the break. What are the worst trends? trends in wine right now. We went to the experts to get these answers. This is a great article we found from VinePair, right, Justin? Yes, VinePair.com. This was entitled, we asked 14 wine pros, what are the worst trends in wine right now? It starts off by talking about the summer of White Claw. We talked about that (laughs) the last couple shows and how much White Claw as a flavored malt beverage has taken over the industry. Other trends, including what's called natural wine, 
canned wine, innovations in packaging. We've seen a lot of, we haven't really talked about in this show lately, but the frozen rosé or the frosés. Those were kind of a big deal all summer in some locations. So this article is interesting because they interviewed quite a few people involved in the wine business from all aspects of sommeliers to people who own restaurants, people who own and operate uh, wine wine shops, people who are kind of uh, wine writers in the media. And, you know, let's just kind of run through what what some of these folks highlight as their worst trends that they're seeing right now. First one is uh, David Gibbs. He's a co-owner of Sushi Note out of L.A., and he said he, he's noticed a creeping tendency of young sommeliers to talk down to guests who just want a glass of something they're familiar with. In other words, you know, you go into a restaurant and uh, you look at the wine menu and you have your old standby. Maybe you are wanting something that you just is like comfort food, in this case, comfort wine. And instead of going off the experiment with something new, you just say, look, I know this brand of, of cab or this Merlot or Chardonnay. I'd like a glass of that. And then the sommeliers kind of look at them and go, oh, that's so pedestrian. Mm. Uh, have you guys incur- have you, have you experienced that when you are out eating lately? I definitely not so much with wine, but. I've experienced in other areas of my life, I think, where experts are there and they might be judging your taste and it just never feels good as a consumer. That's not the way that you don't want to be shamed about your choices. But I like the point that Gibbs makes, which is people should have their minds opened to exploration. Sure. But that should be done in a positive, uplifting manner. That's right. Maybe maybe give them the familiar glass of wine they're looking for, but bring them a taste of something you want them to try. That Absolutely. would be a great way to do that. Next up, this comes from uh, Chris Leon. He's uh, one of the owner of Leon and Son Wine and Spirits in Brooklyn. He says sulfur. He said, I don't think there's a more misunderstood part of wine, sulfur dioxide. Uh, it's place in wine, how it affects the wine, and how it affects the person drinking the wine. He says less than 1% of the population has an allergy to sulfur. Don't be scared of sulfur. It's natural. Uh, now, that's... It's an interesting comment. Uh, you hear people talk about uh, wines in the U.S. and they say, oh, well, I get a headache from these wines because it's got um, sulfites in it. And sulfites are one of the things that put in and the, kind of the preservation or winemaking process. And they'll say, I don't get a headache from Italian wine because they don't put sulfites in. Well, that's not actually true. They do put sulfites in the Italian wine. It's just that under the Italian labeling laws, they're not required to disclose that there are sulfites in there, mm. as an example. Uh, whereas in the U.S., they have that obligation to say sulfites may be present. So uh, he's correct in saying that it is a misunderstood part of the wine culture, and uh, people think they have a reaction to it when um, they really are not having a reaction to that. Well, and it seems like something that a doctor may tell you to steer clear of if they're not sure what you're allergic to, because I, I had an experience where when I was at the radio station in Denver and I was new there, they had a holiday party. I took my sister. It was at a nice seafood restaurant, and... Um, Almost every course was seafood, and we had white wine, and she had a really bad allergic reaction. Oh, no. <laughs> like, later that night, I had to go get her Benadryl at 2 a.m. So she went to um, the allergy doctor and got tests done, and they couldn't see that she was necessarily allergic to any of the seafood that she had. And they basically told her that they thought the combination of all that seafood and the white wine, they all have sulfites, and that that might have been too much for her, and mm-hmm. she needs to... Steer clear of them. But yeah, maybe it's something that the doctors just kind of when they're not sure exactly what it was, they tell you sulfites is something you should watch for. 
Uh, next up, this comes to us from Amy Racine. She's wine director at the Times Square Edition in New York. Her thing is CBD-infused wine. She said, I'm not against the use of cannabis, but I'm against infusing wine with anything. The best thing about wine is expression of the fruit and the terroir, and any additives take away from that. I am also confused about this concept of CBD-infused wine, so I'm not really sure why, because the feds are not going to let you infuse the intoxicating parts of cannabis or THC into alcohol. That's not allowed right now. So the CBD infusion doesn't get you high, doesn't change your state of mind. Uh, there are some people making claims that it is better for joints and inflammation. The FDA is now starting to really put their foot down on that and warning people if you have CBD in a product, you cannot make any claims at all in the packaging or advertising about health benefits. So I don't know what this kick on CBD-infused wines is going to be other than for someone for marketing purposes. Interesting. Yeah, I think this is just such a trendy thing. It almost feels like to say something is CBD-infused these days is just a trendy thing. So yeah. I would imagine that this one would play itself out. Yeah. Next up, this is from uh, Rick Arlene. He's a small yay in Auburn uh, at the restaurant called Auburn in LA. He says what he'd like to, uh, what he thinks are the worst trends right now, the point rating system needs to be phased, phased out. It's completely antiquated and arbitrary in the current state. A point system made sense decades ago when wine was a fringe thing in society, but it's not relevant anymore in his opinion. There are more thoughtful ways to talk about wine than by sending a numerical value. This is a big deal in the industry. If you look at people who really focus on wine, and they might look at the Robert Parker listings, and they might say, oh, this this wine got a 97, a Robert Parker, or it got a rare 100, and all of a sudden the wine becomes worth a lot of money. Retailers want to have it. They want you to make signage and uh, put stickers and things on your bottles. And pretty soon, depending on where you go, you now, as a producer, can start shopping for awards. And you can literally send one wine, uh, one whiskey, one beer, one recipe, send it to five or 10 or 20 different testing houses and get back five or 10 or 20 different grading systems. Maybe this one over here scores it at at 90. This one over here scores it at 98. And pretty soon you just pick the best one and and that's what you throw out there. Uh. So that those, those uh, point systems can be very deceiving and the consumer needs to be very careful to look at, okay, who is actually issuing the points or the awards and is a legitimate group. And then how many other contestants were they competing against? Interesting. Well, we've talked about how subjective wine tasting can be before too. Just, it's really what you prefer. So that makes sense. Yeah. And I've been to some of these uh, judging competitions for wine and spirits and boy, halfway through the day, the palate of the judges is really worn out. And so I don't know that you really uh, get a fair treatment across the board if you are one of these uh, brands. So this comes to us from Brian Daggle, GM of a place called GT Fish and Oyster in Chicago, Illinois. One thing I love to change about the wine industry is the lack of general information about tap wines. They're great, environmentally kind, and much more affordable for bars and guests. Now, what he means by that is there are now wines being delivered in kegs that, just like beer, that go um, into the bar tap system and they get drawn off in tap. You don't have the bottle waste. The shipping is way more efficient. The wine, because it is in a tap system, usually with some kind of gas behind it, um, prevents oxidation, keeps the wine lasting longer, and they can now turn more affordable wines and make a higher margin but uh, pass the savings on to the bar guests. So I, I think he's right. that Just like canned wines, there are good wines on tap available if you pay attention. 
Well, you mentioned canned wine. Before we get out of here, I do want to mention one of the items on this list is also bad canned wine uh, that somebody mentioned. And we've talked about the price point even on canned wine as well. I don't know if you guys have experienced that. When uh, They always have great branding and they look great in the store. When you, A, look at the price point and then when I've actually tasted them, a lot of them in my mind have been inferior to other ones I've had. So I think I, I might agree with that one as well. Bad canned wine. Bad canned wine. Yeah, bad wine in general is a trend that probably needs to go away. Bad, <laughs> bad canned wine uh, just exacerbates it. What happens is the wine producer has wine that they can't put in a bottle and sell to a retailer because the retailers have tasted and say, I'm not, I'm not featuring that. Or if I do, I'm going to feature it like a two-buck chuck, three bucks a bottle. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, take the same product, put it in a new package that's really hip and cool, in this case cans, and sell it as a different occasion. The reality is people drinking canned wine right now are probably not sitting around the dinner table or in the backyard. They're out at the beach, they're at a ball game, they're camping and hiking. And so their expectation of the quality of the product, um, um, unfortunately, doesn't meet the standard as if it was something they were sitting and having around dinner and the producers know this and so they pump it out in that way. Well, there you go. We learned something new every Cast Club Radio episode, and we'll make sure this list is available for you because there's still a lot of other cool items on here that you might want to check out, the worst trends in wine going on right now. Coming up next, we talked about it a little bit in this segment, Wine on Tap. We're going to talk to Ken Dillon of Footprint Wine Tap over in Capitol Hill and learn a little more about this. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now we are joined by Ken Dillon, owner and manager of Footprint Wine Tap. Ken, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? We're doing great, especially yeah. two wine lovers with the opportunity to <laughs> chat with you. So we are pretty darn excited. Can you tell people who have not been yet, they had the great experience of going to Footprint, what it's all about? Absolutely. So Footprint Wine Tap, uh, we actually get our name from reducing our carbon footprints wherever we can. So we are very sustainably focused um, in pretty much everything we do and what we're all about. So who we're working with and uh, the products that we source and design of the space and what this, you know, kind of just what we embody there. So we are actually Seattle's one and only uh, keg wine on tap operation. And so we are featuring mostly local wines too. So Right now, we have about 20 different wines on tap, mostly Washington. We throw in a few Oregon wines uh, here and there, and then on occasion, we'll have domestic and imports. So when you come to the bar, uh, what you know our customers have been experiencing and what we've been trying to portray there is... Um, you know, every single glass pour is a high-quality, consistent pour. So if you think of it in a way of a your standard glass cork or, you know, a, a closure, and you open that up, and uh, it's a fresh bottle, fresh pour. So every single pour that comes out the tap actually is like you're opening up a new bottle of wine, and you get to get to experience the kind of the fresh, high-quality pour, every single pour. So, you know, you're just knowing that uh, you have that evolution of what the wine can be as it decants in the glass and kind of just oxidizes naturally in the glass. You kind of get that experience in the glass every single pour, which is really fun. Clearly, this is a passion project for you, but your career, this wasn't necessarily your background. So how did you end up opening this venture? 
Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) So I will try to get kind of a a cast club digest version. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I've always been fascinated with science, uh, particularly living things and how they function. I've always mentioned about art and specifically music. Um, So I actually moved to Alaska in like the early 90s, and I fell in love with the beauty and vast natural environment there and kind of the wonders of how to sustain something like that on such a large scale. So kind of all of those wonders and passions kind of it led me to this um, getting a degree in uh, biological sciences. And I focused in ecology, actually. So, you know, lots of kind of relatedness when it comes to sustainability there. And I also studied some opera. Wow. (laughs) Kind of the science and art thing, you know, through my college career. And then about 13 years ago, I actually moved to Seattle and I had absolutely no job lined up, but I absolutely knew that Seattle is where I needed to be. So I began some volunteer work um, as an interpreter at the Seattle Aquarium and I landed a job in HR. <laughs> um, I know you may be thinking, uh, huh, what? Because <laughs> that's that's what I would thought too at the time. But um, however, that was actually the, the that time was around the recession, and this potential career pathway seemed like a pretty safe bet in the job market at the time. So. Um, what I did not know then uh, was that that career would actually be about 10 years long. So I, you know, I stuck it out and um, I learned a lot. And um, you know, I'm glad I, I, I'm glad I did. Even to this day, it's just I use HR, you know, every single day, even now in this career. So at the same time, with uh, kind of getting my bearings here in Seattle, um, and ever since I could legally drink wine too, I, I've always grew an interest with blind wine tastings and food wine pairings. So I hosted those events uh, with friends over the years, and a, a, a real passion grew out of those events. Uh, but one thing kept growing my passion even more, which was the science and art of wine and what it could be. You know, and and just in the latter years of my HR, I just felt like I needed to change and really kind of honed in on, you know, asking that question, what do I want to do when I grow up? (laughs) What do I want to do next? And so these wine parties, you know, I hosted with friends, I regularly kept popping up in my mind. And I asked myself, well, how do I get from here to there? So meaning how do I make my passion into something tangible, marketable, unique, and fit with my like authenticity of like core values and philosophy of sustainability. So those those thoughts and cop- concepts were um, jotted down on a piece of paper, and I started doing a ton of research and asking myself and other business mentors, owners, wine industry professionals a lot of questions. And um, this piece of paper evolved into a business plan, and the, <laughs> the plan became a reality on September 14th, 2018. So just uh, you know, just a little over a year ago. And I, you know, really I cannot be more proud, happy, and excited to where we're headed next. So. That's so incredible. That's kind of a, kind wow. of a digest version, I guess. <laughs> no, that's amazing. And I also hope that you've got that piece of paper somewhere and that yeah. maybe it's framed. Oh, I yeah. Oh, that's that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely have. I have all of that stuff. <laughs> that's amazing. And looking at your space online, which people can do, by the way, footprintwine.com, and just seeing uh, that that amount of detail clearly and thought put into even the space, what went into picking also the wines here? Because then that is that is what people, the, the main thing that people are coming for other than to be in that social great environment. But what went into selecting the wines on tap? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's 
kind of some key factors that we look for when we select our products. So the number one thing is, you know, any vendor or uh, product that we're working with, we want to ensure that whoever we're working with um, is at least practicing sustainability. So we're, we're asking the questions to those vendors, you know, um, what are you guys actually doing? What are your practices? How is it impacting, you know, you know anything else that you know, goes within that system, even outside that system. So I'm really trying to do that survey for, you know, everyone we work with. And, you know, the wines that we select really are, are mainly kind of involved with that question first and foremost. And then also we look at, you know, varietals and, uh, you know, what's what's fun and what's familiar. So any customer that has been or will will come to our space We'll find that you know you'll you'll see varietals on our menu that are very familiar to you, like your Chardonnay, your Cabs, or Merlots, or Syrahs. But we're also going to throw something in in there that's you know really fun. So right now we actually have um, uh, we have a few unique and ex- like I think exclusive to Seattle. I'm the only ones pouring it on tap right now. I have a, a Milan de Bourgogne, uh, excuse me. And a Nebbiolo rose, which yes. are just super fun, and and you really actually another one, a Petite Syrah, you know, like we actually have on tap right now, which is like just been such huge hits. They taste good, and they're just awesome. Um, and we really try to serve up, you know, uh, these wines that are, you know, not only delicious, they fit our sustainability model, and they're also at a good price point. So uh, we wanted these local wines to be really attainable and, um, you know, can be accessed to a wide range of customers that come through our door from first time wine drinkers to, you know, we do have sommeliers or, you know, viticulturists, you know, winemakers come in, all of that, you know, and it's just, we want that to be accessible to everyone, um, for anyone that walks in the door. So. So clearly you're going to get a great glass of wine if you go there at, at a reasonable price. But also one of the fun things to yeah. check out on your website, we chatted a little bit uh, off air about, was the events. You've come up with also some pretty creative events that people can attend. Yes. Yeah. So we are right now hosting uh, a few different public events. And um, one of them is our wine tasting and live piano, live music nights that we do. So uh, the wine tasting nights are held once a month, and um, we we basically source or focus mostly on your local producers. But we venture out and we do some domestic and imports too. And so usually a rep from that uh, grower producer will be you know in the house pouring the wines, talking about the wines. And we have some live pianos from local artists will come in and, um, you know, just play some background music while you're enjoying the wine. And, of course, we have our full kitchen open for anyone that needs food. And, uh, you know, those are just have been a really fun event to get to sometimes meet the actual winemaker, uh, winemaker owners. It's just it's just a lot of fun. And if you ever have questions um, about their process or anything like that, you know, you can you can get like firsthand, you know, kind of just first experience with um, those those producers, which is which has been, you know, just incredible just for that interaction. We also host a cabaret sing along um, that we're doing every month and, um, you know, kind of within our same theme of, you know, really trying to boost our 
community and economy and things like that, you know, keeping keeping with small business and things like that. We also are featuring uh, local artists. So uh, for our cabaret sing-along events, we have a lot of uh, local performers um, that we host, and um, it's just a it's just a really fun time for you to come in and you know just enjoy some live music some singers and if you want to sing along you're more than happy <laughs> to or more than welcome to it's not mandatory obviously but really it's it's just like anyone and everyone i've talked to who has come to these events you know just say that they're just having an amazing time. It is so much fun. We need more of like this, these events in Seattle. And I just, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, it's just been a, a really fun time and um, we're definitely going to keep that going. Uh, the other kind of, a, or the other events that we do, it's held every other month and it goes with the Capitol Hill Art Walk. And so uh, we host the we host a local artist every couple months and they'll come in and have an art opening reception. They'll install some beautiful works from, you know, paintings to photography. It's just, it's just like really cool to see the local artists here too. Um, and their, their expressions on their art, you know, their art forms and things like that. It's just, it's really great. And then you get a chance to, you know, like the wine producers or winemakers that come in, you get to talk to the local artist that's there and really, you know, ask them questions and try to understand more of their process and, you know, what they do. And it's just really been a fun time to meet um, some of the local artists um, and just really have some beautiful artwork in our, in our space that is, um, you know, it's rotating. So the look and feel of our space, you know, changes, a lot, you know, like a little bit every two months, which is really fun to keep things fresh. It keeps things, you know, pretty lively in there, which I, which I really enjoy. And I think everyone else does too. So, Well, Ken, incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. Ken Dillon, owner and manager of Footprint Wine Tap in Capitol Hill, right? And on Madison Street. So we'll make sure everybody checks out Footprint. You can find out more information at footprintwine.com. We so appreciate you. Thanks for being on today. Yes, thank you for having me. This has been this has been a lot of fun. Thank you both. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about mistakes that bartenders make, but not according to us, according to other bartenders. And of course, we'll leave you with a delicious cocktail recipe. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks again for hanging out with us today. In just a moment or two, we've got a brand new cocktail recipe for you to celebrate perhaps BSB 103 Day coming up on October 3rd. But first, we've all been to the bar before and maybe seen our drink prepared incorrectly or in a way that we didn't like. But we actually went out and found a list from HuffPost.com talking about some of the common things that bartenders do wrong. Because just like anyone else, a server, a barista, they are susceptible to making mistakes just as we all are at our jobs. But these are some of the more common ones that you might see. And I love this because the blog is entitled Things Bartenders Do Wrong, comma, according to bartenders. So uh, we should uh, make, make very know. clear here yeah. that anybody who out there is listening, this is not our list compiled about bartenders. This is what your fellow bartenders are saying about you, maybe. So uh, this was compiled by Dan Gentile. First up is bartenders who shake Manhattans. He says, there are a lot of things that bartenders do wrong every shift, but the main one I've noticed is shaking in Manhattan. 
Manhattans are delicate and should be stirred to complement the bold flavor of the whiskey and never shaken. Another issue, he says, is flipping the small shaker tin upside down and dropping it into a large tin to strain instead of using the correct strainer. I've never seen anybody do that, but uh, not only is this technique a sign of laziness, he says, it's extremely unsanitary and should never be used by any bartender. I've used not that technique, but if I couldn't find a strainer at the moment, sometimes I used a rocks glass flipped upside down into the shaker. But I think that's more sanitary because you're taking a clean glass. I see what he means with the two shakers if they're sitting on the bar mat and you're putting one inside the other. That's not necessarily clean. And or if they've touched the top of it or something. Yeah, there's just... That seems like that might uh, not be the best practice. Yeah. (laughs) But also just shaking doesn't... uh, Ruining the flavor profile there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Next up here, this came from Ran Duan, who's the 2014 North American winner of the Bombay Sapphire Most Imaginative Bartender Competition. That's a big deal. He's he's in Woburn, Mass. He says, following trends instead of instincts. Now, part of being a good bartender, uh, as a side note, is you really kind of have to understand chemistry. And I don't mean necessarily the uh, formal education of chemistry in high school or college, but just understanding the basic uh, chemical uh, reactions that various parts of the cocktails have when you mix things together. So that's what he's saying, talking about instincts. He says, I see a lot of these lists of trends and predictions and cocktails. Suddenly every bar who reads your article is now making a barrel age, low ABV cocktail that's on tap with nitro as an example. What he says is don't follow the list, Uh, stand out from the rest of the pack. You can break the rules and uh, do your own thing. I think another example of this I see in the industry right now is this uh, idea of hopped whiskey where people are making whiskey uh, using traditional beer recipes with lots of hops. Mm. And, uh, man, it's just sour, astringent, and uh, just another trend that uh, is not, I think, intuitive for the consumer because it's just not a product that uh, makes a lot of sense and necessarily tastes good if it's not if it's not uh, made properly. It's kind of a theme on the show today. We talked about the worst trends in wine earlier in the show. And now, yeah, I think this can be true in anything. If you if you follow the herd too much, not only could that trend actually be bad and you might be having an inferior product, but also then isn't that just what everyone else is doing and isn't that no fun? So I, I like that idea of stand out and break the rules a little bit. Yeah. Uh, The next one comes from John O'Donnell, who's um, out of Las Vegas, Nevada. He says, taking the job way too seriously, the job of bartender. He says, nowadays bartenders are too busy trying to make the perfect drink and cocktail, and they're losing connection with the people at the bar. Uh, He is from Dublin, Ireland, and he said, where I come from, you have a responsibility to your patrons to make them laugh and have a good time. (laughs) A lot of bartenders are just taking themselves too seriously, and they kill the energy of the bar. Um, That's an amazing observation because... Uh, Maura, you were in the industry on, on the backside of the bar. People are giving you tips uh, if you're at the bar, literally sitting at the bar. Are they giving you tips because of the quality of the drinks you make? We just assume they're good. Or did you have a good personality, interact with them, treat them well, and uh, make them feel like they were a welcome guest? Which which thing got you better tips? Oh, uh, definitely, especially because I didn't work at, we weren't more of a craft cocktail bar. We we made like lemon drop martinis and Long Island. We were, we were busy late at night. Yeah, it was definitely being fast and efficient, but also just like I, I had a lot of regulars and you rely on that a lot as a bartender. And I understand that, you know, we live in a city where um, we have some amazing bartenders that like this is their career and their passion and they've studied almost the same as you would, you know, going to college for any other career. They, mm-hmm. they really know their stuff, but... 
you know, at a certain point, you still have to realize that you're doing a, a public service job and you can't treat people like you're above them because you do have this knowledge. Yeah, I really like this. I also wonder, too, about the cultural difference. And whenever I've gone to another country, a bar really is almost a community, a center in a community where people gather. And in a lot of those places, people are not working for tips. Mm-hmm. And so to imagine that not working for tips, but then also feel that responsibility and sense of like a public service to to be uh, yeah. to be a community is is kind of cool to hear because yeah that that is always my favorite part of going to a bar. It's not typically, although I've had some great food and drinks about that. It's about the connection, definitely. Yeah. Uh, next up on the list, this is from Joaquin Sino out of New York. He says using a straw to sample from a glass. He thinks that's a no-no for a bartender. Um, He said there is great joy in watching the bartender carefully measure out each ingredient, fill the vessel, uh, hand cracking the ice, going to all the shaking or the stirring, pouring it into the glass. And then what does he see? The bartender dip a plastic straw in, (laughs) pull it out, and suck on the bottom of it to see if it tastes great. And he says... Don't get me wrong. I'm all for making sure that you're sampling the drinks to make sure the ingredients and the balance and the temperature is right. But it's already plated. What are you going to do? Pour the drink out? Good point. If it doesn't taste right. And uh, you can make last-minute adjustments to ensure that the $15 cocktail is getting uh, is worth worthwhile. But uh, throwing that straw in it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, conversely, what I love watching is a bartender do free pours of the different things in the different parts of the measurement of the cocktail shaking or stirring it and then when they pour it into the final serving glass it is the exact amount to the level with nothing left in the shaker and you don't have a lot of room left and and i always am amazed that with free pour that they are able to do that and that's a sign of of an amazing bartender true yeah. Well, now you have the opportunity to be your own bartender at home because we've got a great new cocktail recipe for you. We do. Uh, we call this the Little Red Rooster. This requires our BSB 103. That's the brown sugar bourbon at 103 proof. Um, incidentally enough, we have declared BSB 103 day as October 3rd, 10-3-103. So the cocktail here is going to be two ounces of BSB 103, a quarter ounce of grenadine, one ounce of lemon juice, freshly squeezed from lemon, two dashes of bitters. Uh, an ice, uh, some ice, and a shaker. So um, in the shaker, pour in your two ounces of BSP 103, the quarter ounce of grenadine, one ounce of lemon juice, two dashes of the bitters, shake it, and then strain it into a tumbler glass with ice and garnish it with a cherry. Ooh, sounds nice and pretty on top of Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Well, yeah, great, great way to celebrate BSB 103 Day on October 3rd. We'll make sure this is available for you at heritagedistilling.com, where you can also download episodes of the podcast. That's right. And uh, Advent calendars are around the corner on sale. They go on sale October nice. 1st. Uh, exciting day for us. You can also uh, pick them up at any of our uh, tasting rooms around the state of Washington and Oregon. You can also find them at heritagedistilling.com. Ship them to your home. We ask you to send us any questions, topics, ideas, suggestions at castclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at castclubradio and at brown sugar bourbon. Don't forget to use the hashtag drinkingbsb. And uh, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Absolutely. Well, happy birthday to Jennifer out there, and we will all see you back here next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.